Good evening and welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Birch. Thank you so much for being here with us. Coming up in a short while in the broadcast, we bring you our feature on women. Today we focus on Franciscan Sisters of Nairobi, the annual organic lifestyle fair, and we also take a look at drug policies and women. But for now, though, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa with Mahadi Butelezi. So do stay tuned. Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, for a change. Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond. Africa's commitment to silence guns and sea-crossing survivors describe Mediterranean ordeal. Houston gold medal for Eritrean film Solomon. Good evening, I am Mahdi Butelezi. Pope Francis has sent a message to the Jewish community of Rome as it prepares to celebrate the Feast of Passover, the feast which commemorates God's delivery of Israel out of Egypt. And slavery begins at dusk on Friday the 22nd of April and ends on Saturday the 30th of April. In his message addressed to Dr. Riccardo Di Seni, the chief rabbi of Rome, the Holy Father said that God will accompany the Jewish community with an abundance of blessings, protecting them and bestowing peace upon everyone. At their recent meeting in Leeds, the bishops of England and Wales have directed their special prayers for Queen Elizabeth II be made in every parish in commemoration of her 90th birthday. Though her birthday is April the 21st, the prayers will take place on the weekend of June the 11th to the 12th. The African Union's commitment to stop conflict across the continent by 2020 is ambitious but critically important, the Deputy Secretary General has said. Jan Eliasson was speaking at a high-level forum at the UN on Wednesday entitled Africa We Want. Delegates discussed how to integrate the UN's new global goals together with Africa's development agenda for 2063. Jocelyn Sambira reports. Countries affected by conflict were among the world's poorest performers on the first UN anti-poverty goals, known as the MDGs or Millennium Development Goals. That's according to Jan Eliasson, the UN Deputy Secretary General, adding that they also every year dominate the lowest ranks on the Human Development Index. He underscored the importance of ending conflict in order to arrive at a peaceful and secure continent. Recognizing this, the SDGs and Agenda 2063 from the UN and AU, respectively, require governments, regional organizations and the international community to focus on the root causes of conflict and fragility. These causes range from poverty, inequality and exclusion to governance failures, let's face it, the lack of decent work and the flow of weapons. People living in fragile and conflict-affected countries make up for 15% of the world's population, Mr. Jan Eliasson said. Survivors of possibly one of the worst tragedies at sea in the last 12 months in which 500 people are believed to have drowned have begun sharing their tale. Just 41 people were rescued by a merchant ship after a large ship went down in the Mediterranean last week. 
They spoke about being part of a larger group which had set out from the Libyan coast for Italy and being forced to board a larger boat which capsized and sank. Daniel Johnson has more. Details are emerging of the ordeal endured by those involved in the doomed attempt to cross the Mediterranean from eastern Libya to Italy. According to the UN Refugee Agency team that interviewed the 41 survivors, they had set out from near Tobruk in Libya on a 30-metre boat with between 100 to 200 others, possibly in the middle of last week. After sailing for several hours, smugglers ordered the passengers onto a larger ship that was already carrying hundreds of people. During the transfer, the larger boat capsized and sank. Here's William Spindler from the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR. The survivors are obviously very shaken by what they saw. Some of them saw their relatives dying in front of their eyes. They have gone through a terrible ordeal. The survivors, 37 men, three women and a three-year-old child, drifted at sea for possibly three days before they were rescued and then taken to Kalamata in Greece. The accident comes a year after the worst incident at sea involving migrants when 700 lost their lives off Libya. To date, UN partner, the International Organization for Migration, says that nearly 180,000 people have made the crossing by sea to Europe from Africa or Turkey so far this year, with 737 confirmed dead or missing. Daniel Johnson, Geneva. And finally, Asmara, an Eritrean film titled Solomon, has received Houston Gold Medal in the 49th U.S. Film Festival. Written by Ephraim Andabana, an Eritrean artist, the central theme of the film Solomon is mainly social. It reflects wedlock challenges seen in young couples. Solomon has received this grand award by standing first out of 4,500 films from 70 countries. Nominees from the role they played in the making of the film Mereb Estefano is a renowned Eritrean actress and film producer Yodit Gebru attended the award ceremony. And these have been your news from Africa and beyond. Have yourselves a very good evening. I'm Mahadi Kutilezi. You're still listening to the Catholic View on Radio Veritas, 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Audio Bouquet, and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you once again for being here with us. Today being a Thursday, we bring our feature on women, coming up next. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. 
Welcome back to our feature on women. Today we take a look at Franciscan Sisters of Nairobi. We also take a look at the annual Organic Lifestyle Fair and then Drug Policies and Women. Franciscan Sisters of St. Anna have opened their new worldwide headquarters in Utawala, Nairobi, Kenya. The St. Anna Divine Mercy Generalate was blessed and opened by His Eminence John Cardinal Jue on April 15th. Speaking during the ceremony, Cardinal Jue, Archbishop of the Catholic Archdiocese of Nairobi, urged the sisters to remain united to ensure the congregation grows further. He called on the sisters to accept one another in the congregation, irrespective of which tribe or community the person comes from. The congregation has 186 sisters working in Kenya, Holland and Ethiopia, with only 32 remaining in Holland. Mrs. South Africa hashtag top 100 semi-finalist Tris Mazwi is an organic married mother of three. Tris Mazwi organic life fair started out with the birth of her daughter Otlile, a life-changing event that saw her give up glitz and glamour lifestyle as a model, TV presenter and advisor on beauty and etiquette to embark on the road of soul discovery. Tris Mazwi starts by explaining what is organic lifestyle. Organic lifestyle started obviously with um, me trying to find out what was causing this illness for my daughter. Because after the doctor uh, told me that she'd only be living for two two months, uh, I was devastated. When the doctor tells you you must go home and wait for your daughter to die, you can't accept that as a mother. So I started taking her off uh, medication, which was obviously poisoning her little body because we all know that all medication has after effects, side effects. Yes. So her little liver and her little kidneys and her little nervous system couldn't uh, function in that toxic environment of over-medication. So I first took her off medication and put her on homeopathic medication and herbal medication. Um, That alone took her from a vegetative stage to functioning. She could now open her eyes and she could move her body because her muscles became stiff, you know, from fear, from shock, from being handled in the hospital. And that's a big issue. Mothers don't actually realize the trauma that the hospital can bring to a baby. And we we then start taking kids to the hospital when they have flu, when they have little sniffles. But we don't realize how traumatic that environment actually is. So my lesson through uh, the hospital was that there is an alternative. I started looking for reasons for um, her muscular tension. And I found out it was trauma. I found out it was stress. I found out that trauma and stress can make the child retract from life and hide inside her body. So I then found out about natural treatments like craniosacral, like body talk, like uh, reflexology, to trigger her body to start healing itself and to release the trauma and, and heal from within organically. 
So in so, other words, you decided to go the natural way. I did, and I didn't know anything about the natural way because yeah. we grow up knowing that uh, the hospital is the go-to, first go-to place yes. when something is wrong with us. That's right. And that's what, that's how I reacted. And But then when I got the feedback, and, and I'm so grateful for that feedback because that was the universe saying, no, the doctor is not in charge of how you think, of what you eat, of what you put on your body of how you carry yourself, the vibrational frequency around you, the people you surround yourself with. All this I found out when I decided, okay, so she's functional now, but her body is damaged from, she had three episodes of meningitis. And I wanted to find out how to make her have a quality of life. That's when I found out about metaphysical science. So I enrolled to do my degree and I found life, a wealth of information. That's when I realized that thoughts actually affect the body. Of course I know that, and of course you know that, but we don't take it the, first, uh, the next step. We don't take it to our lives. When I start thinking about my husband or anyone starts thinking about um, romantic thoughts, their body, their physiology changes. Men will show more than women. So we know that thoughts affect the body. But we never think that when I have a headache or when I have butterflies in my stomach, because of what I'm thinking, we run to the to the panado that's or right. the best uh, medicine that's in the shelf. Mm. But I then realized that um, who we are is predominantly what is happening in our heads. Everything that we see around us right now started first as a thought. So thoughts are powerful forces. They create our lives, our future, our experiences, and our destiny. So I learned about how I basically created a toxic environment for my daughter from thoughts. When I was pregnant, I was afraid of losing her. So I was constantly releasing the hormone of fear, which affects the kidneys, constantly when I was pregnant, and you will hear grandmothers will tell you when you're pregnant, you must always be happy. Don't be in environments that are scary or that are going to affect you negatively. Or that but gives you stress. Yeah. Yes. We forget those things and we call them ancient and boring and all sorts of things. But in fact, if a thought affects your physiology, is it possible that all the hormones that are in your bloodstream go straight to the baby? So my child was exposed to the fear that I had when I was pregnant with her. She was exposed to the anger that I would feel, you know, like all of us do, we from time to time feel anger. But if it stays in your body, if you stay angry for more than two hours, the hormone starts creating damage to your organs. So she was exposed to that as well. And then body products. I didn't know how much toxin was in our body products. I mean, the skin is our largest organ, and it absorbs the most bigger, bigger amounts or quantities of what goes into our bloodstream is absorbed through the skin. So I went to the supermarket, like all of us do, bought my body products, didn't read the labels, didn't realize how much poison was in it, how many... Heavy metals were in the body products. How many 
chemicals were kept in the products to preserve them and the active ingredients in those products to make them work were actually toxic. So I just, like a normal person, put those things um, on my body with ignorance. Another way that I poisoned her and myself was through food. The quality of food has deteriorated. We all know this, but we don't know what to do about it. How many times have you eaten a peach and thought, what is this? Mm -hmm. It looks like a peach. It tastes nothing like a peach. It's got no juice. It's got no nutrition. It's got no taste, no value. It's just this thing there looking Mm -hmm. like a peach. We talk about eating organic foods. When you, for example, if you go walk into a shop and you look at organic foods, you look at the price difference between organic foods and your normal foods that are full of all sort of substances. You look at the price difference. And for a poor person, how does a poor person then afford to eat healthy? Because really going the organic way is going the healthy way. And there are lots of factors, not just the fact that you're going into a shop to buy it, but at the same time, if you're going to grow your own vegetables, especially if you live in the city, how do you do this? What alternatives are there for a person to eat healthy without spending too much? You know what, Shela, this is a very personal thing to me. And now I want to speak to moms. If you're a woman and you have a womb, this is not a joke anymore. You are responsible for bringing up the next generation of South Africans. You are responsible for sustaining the mental state of South Africans as a woman and as a mother. Because you are the one responsible of what goes into their bodies and into their little tummies. Taking a packet of seeds, buying a tray and buying soil that is organic, putting into those trays and putting those seeds, that packet will cost you at the most 30 rands and that will feed you for the whole year. Putting those seeds in those trays and watering every day will give you seedlings. And taking those seedlings and putting them in the soil will give you food for your family. If you don't have space, you can buy pots and you can plant these foods around your yard as your um, ornaments. Otherwise, you just need a door size of space. And if you live in an apartment, please get those wooden trays that you can put on your patio. From that wooden tray, you can feed if you rotate the seeds. Start with your seedlings. Have all your seedlings ready. And as you see that you've taken two bunches of carrots, put in, put Put more seedlings in and from a tray that is, let's say, maybe um, two meter length, you can feed your family from that um, tray every week. So there is no excuse for us to wait for other people to feed us what we know kills us because we're making excuses. Your child might have brain fog might not be able to make decisions in class, might be lazy to study, might be tired all the time, might be irritable and have um, personality issues. What if you're responsible for that as a mother? Are you ready to deal with that? That you just don't have the courage to stand up and go buy a packet of seedlings 
costing you 30 rands to change the state of the nation. Is, is that expensive? I doubt it. Is it an issue of willpower? Mm. I think so. Mm. Is it an issue of changing mindset? I think so. Is it an issue of challenging yourself to start loving yourself? Because that's what it is. That's how I learned self-love. When you feed yourself poisonous food, you're self-sabotaging. You're killing yourself. You're killing yourself. You're killing your children. You're killing your family. And you're killing the nation. Do you love yourself enough to stand up this weekend and go buy a packet of seeds and a few trays and start your own veggie garden? Is that expensive or is that cheaper? Can we rotate veggies? If your neighbor has carrots and you have more tomatoes, can we swap? Can we start taking responsibility for who we become? I know when they are sold, they're expensive, probably because the organic word is trending right now. But I doubt that it's because of the production of the veggies. So, so true. We all rush to the cheapest, to the most affordable, not knowing that that most affordable will have a serious impact in the long run. And it will actually be more expensive in the long run when it comes to treating ourselves because of going for the most affordable item on the shelves in the shops. Let's talk about treatment. You say, so we're going to poison ourselves and then go and get treatment. Why treat the disease that you've caused? Why just not cause one? For instance, um, medication is for emergencies. It's for a person who is in a bad state, who is not able to recover by themselves. It's not, it's not something that we take in every day because we haven't taken responsibility for our health. I would like South Africa to start a, a, a mentality of health ownership. I am responsible for my body, so I'm responsible, responsible for what I put in it. I'm responsible for what I eat, and I'm responsible for my treatment. My treatment doesn't necessarily have to be medication because medication has side effects. We go to medication and we go to hospitals as a last resort because we have tried everything natural. We have tried mental clearance. We have tried eating well. We've tried exercising and drinking water before we go to treatment because treatment actually makes us even more toxic. Every pack of medication has side effects and they're written there for you to let you know what it's going to do to your body when you take it. So if you don't take care of yourself and rush to medication, are you helping yourself or are you killing yourself? There are natural treatments that are out there that help the body to heal itself. Reflexology works on pressure points where your, your, le- your feet are pressed on certain nerve endings, certain mm-hmm. bloodstreams that trigger your body to detox, yeah. trigger it to heal itself. So there are natural ways of healing the body. I mean, if you go to www.organiclifehead.com, you'll see all of them are there. So what the body needs is four things. A healthy mind, as a man thinketh, so is he. What you think about will show up in your body. The body needs oxygen. You need to sit down and breathe for 30 minutes every day. You need water. You don't need eight glasses of water. You need half the amount of water as your body weight. 
because if your body is 80% water, that means you need more water than food. Your body needs nourishment. And if you eat food that has no nourishment, why are you eating? So food is information to heal the body. So when you eat, it's not for entertainment. It's to regenerate your cells so that you can live longer. So those are the only four things that the body needs. Mindset, you need to be happy. Water, you need to hydrate. Oxygen, you need to breathe so you can come down and release the hormones of anger and sadness and depression. And you need to nourish. Your food needs to be nourishment, not just a plate full of pulp. And I urge South Africans to please Vote for me. This is why I entered Mrs. South Africa. I need a voice. I need to be heard. I need to inspire our Department of Agriculture to give land to organic farmers so each child can grow up with proper nutrition. I need to inspire the Department of Health to help me put the campaign of health awareness out there. I need to speak to mothers that are pregnant, that are taking care of the nation, to please, please make this change. Let's go organic. Let's go natural. Let's take care of our country. I need South Africans to back me up. This is why I entered Mrs. South Africa. I need your votes. Uh, I'm just so, so inspired by what you've mentioned. Look at your alternatives and try to do things the healthy way. And like you mentioned, eating healthy doesn't have to be expensive. Yes, and, and food is wealth. Yeah. Okay, we want... Uh, the only thing that sustains human beings more more than money is food because we can exchange it, we can sell it. You can start your own veggie garden and tomorrow, just selling a basket, you have money, you have income. So there is no reason to sit at home now for the guys and the ladies who are sitting at home saying, I'm unemployed. Start your own veggie garden, sell organic veggies. You know, let's let's be wealthy with what is simple to do and it sustains life. Well, Tris, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. It's been a really a very inspirational talk, um, having you on the broadcast and talking to us about organic lifestyle. I wish you all of the best, not just with Mrs. South Africa, but with what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me, Shana, and thank you, South Africa, for listening to me. I love you. Thank you. Bye. Female drug users who are pregnant or already have children unjustly receive harsher punishments than men or other women. That's according to Farah Diaz-Tello, a senior staff attorney at National Advocates for Pregnant Women, a New York-based non-governmental organization. Ms. Diaz-Tello attended an event at the UN headquarters that focused on how to promote drug policies that support women, part of the UN General Assembly's special session on the world drug problem. Farah Diaz-Tello spoke to Carmen Cuesta-Rock about vulnerabilities women experience. 
So what we find in the United States and around the world is that women suffer disproportionately under punitive drug policies. So that can be policies that criminalize drug use for women who use during pregnancy to civil child welfare penalties uh, for, for women who are her parents and who are also using. And really this serves as double and triple punishment for women uh, who use drugs. And what are some of the greatest misconceptions about drug use, drug dependency and pregnancy? There are twin myths. The first is that drug use during pregnancy is inevitably and certainly harmful to a pregnancy and to the child that's going to be born. And that's simply not the case. It's not borne out by um, medical and scientific research. And unfortunately, many putative drug policies have emerged from that misconception. So much of the criminalization of women who continue pregnancies to charm in spite of a drug problem um, occurs under the auspices of protecting children from harms that, in fact, never materialize. Um, and these, these are myths that are perpetuated by courts, by the media. They're very pervasive in popular culture. The second myth that is very important is this idea that a drug user uh, can't be a good parent. And in fact, many people who use drugs can be good parents and can in fact love their children, but have them taken away from them because the parent tests positive for a controlled substance. Testing positive for a controlled substance is no indication of whether or not you're a good parent. So what's the best way to tackle this problem of these misconceptions? I think there's a very important role for uh, medical providers and for the media to play in dispelling these myths. These are myths that, you know, we see recapitulated over and over again. And it really is in the hands of medical providers and scientists to say that, in fact, children are not necessarily harmed by the fact that their parents use drugs. Another aspect to it really is political empathy. I think one of the reasons that we've seen such severe punishment of women who use controlled substances is because there is a lack of empathy for women and the social determinants that lead them to drug use and involvement in drug trade. Um, and we've really utterly failed to address those. And I think that by having a little bit of empathy, we can hope to change the underlying situations that lead women to drug use rather than just punishing them at the tail end. What can the UN and the international community do to, uh, to improve the situation? So I think that the most important thing that the UN can do is really employ a gender lens and mainstream that throughout any declarations or anything that has to do with drugs. I think that we really need to dispel this idea that drug use uh, or the drug policy is not a women's issue. Right, because women are often hidden when it comes to the drug problem and drug policies. You have terms such as kingpin and women are kind of just left behind and forgotten. One of the best ways to um, sensitize people to this issue is really starts with data collection. You know, in much of the information that we have about drug use and drug trade, we don't, uh, we, you know, we don't have data on, on women and what the impacts of drug policies are on women. I think from there we can really build out and, and help to alert people to the really desperate situation that we have you know, throughout the world. Our prisons are filling up and they're filling up with, with women and mostly mothers um, and I think that that's something that is going to become a more and more pressing issue. You've been listening to our feature on women right here on The Catholic View. Should you wish to contribute towards this feature, feel free to send me an email, shayla at radioveritas.co.za. I want to leave my footprints on the sands of time. No, there was something that and something that I left behind when I leave this Something to remember So they won't forget I was here I lived I loved I 
This has been your Thursday edition of the Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. We'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sheila Pirsch. <laughs>